0: I want to take a look at Psalm 107 this morning. Just open up the center of your Bible there. It's a good way to start the year. The song talks about, or the song, well, Psalm, song, it talks about praise and it talks about thanks. And it would make a good Thanksgiving sermon. But this is the one the Lord laid on my heart for today and from a little different angle than just thanksgiving. When you look at Psalm 107, there's some repetition in it. And when you divide it up, there's four different sections, kind of. It talks about four different types of people. I know I'm giving you these numbered lists here lately, but it, there's, there's four, four different types of needs that people have had that have caused them to turn to the Lord. Now, to put this in the proper context, I'm told by scholars that know more than me that this took place, this psalm was written after the captivity. And there they were coming back from the captivity, they were scattered, they were coming, you know, the king of Persia had allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the land, and they were coming back. They were being redeemed. And the psalm is saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's read a little bit here. It says, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, for whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And that sets the context for the passage. Now, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, when I read this passage, I see the four different types in here. I see the homeless and the hungry, and this is just to make it simple words to remember. The homeless and the hungry, those that are in darkness and bondage, those are the ones that get redeemed, and those that are sick and near death, and those that are suffering in the storm. We don't have the PowerPoint. You want me to repeat that? I know you all like to take notes, and I'm glad. I like to see that. I'd like to see note-taking. I like to hear the Bible pages being turned when we go into it. (coughs) And each one of these sections, and it's broken down pretty easy, but in each one of these sections, you see four different things inside each one of these sections. It just works out that way. The the homeless and hungry. Darkness and bondage and sick and near death and suffering through the storm. Now, obviously, this isn't all the situations that people find themselves into that make them turn to the Lord, but we're just going to look at these today and uh, focus on them. My favorite part is at the end because it talks about going to sea. But he says... Verse number two. Well, let's pray. Let's start with a word of prayer. Amen. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. We see God's mercy endure forever. We look back on our own lives. We look at our mistakes, and we say, aren't we glad that God's mercy endures forever? You know, he puts up with man for a time. Man's days are short and evil, Jacob said, full of trouble. My days have been few and full of trouble, but uh, God's mercy endures forever, his forgiveness. He says, so because of that, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Many people have turned to the Lord in time of trouble, but they've turned to him also in good times. I was reading a book, or I'd read a book not too long ago, and it was about a, A new age. The guy was in the new age, caught up in the new age movement. He was a leader in the new age movement. He'd written some books, and they'd referred to him, and it talked all about crystals and all of this. And he talked about channeling spirits and things like that. And he had gotten saved later in life because he had gotten real good at channeling those spirits. And this is just to give you the story. He was starving for spirituality. And he was turning to these other things like crystals and the new age, just whatever all that involved. He was turning to that to meet spiritual needs. There's a side of man that says, yeah, this physical world's great, but there's got to be something more than this. You watch a ghost show, you know there's something to do. There's something on the other side. But man turns to all these different things. They'll turn to a book written by some witch, you know, 400 years ago but they'll reject a Bible that was written 2,000 years ago and has countless people whose lives have been changed by it. Not by the book, but by the Spirit, by God behind it. And they'll deny the very God. Look over at uh, Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. So you have people that look for spirituality without God. They they look at this creation and they say there's more to it. They look at this world and they say there's more to it. And over in Romans chapter 1, verse number, uh, verse number 17, For therein is the righteousness of God from faith to faith, That is as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse number 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There is a truth. When we look at creation, when we look at uh, just, just even learning about psychology, you know, when you, when you get into Google and things like that, they know more about you than you know about yourself. It would scare me to sit into a, an interrogation nowadays when they, they can determine all these things about you. But it occurred to me, there's, there's all these types of different people, but they say we're evolving, So you would think that if we were evolving and everything was random, it'd be kind of hard to figure out people. It would kind of be hard to figure things out. Do y'all follow me on that? Because one of y'all looks a little confused and I always look at them for a gauge. I'm not going to say who it is. But do y'all follow me on that? Well We say that everything they'll say that everything's random. That evolution happens, that it just randomly happened, and, and, you know, yet you can look at cell structure, and you can say, I'm looking at this frog, and I know that this frog's the same. You know, they're basically the same. They have the same building blocks. You can look down at the cell structure, you can move up, you can look at DNA, you can see all these things. God's creation is visible. It's right before, right in front of the eyes of the very people that deny God's creation. Some of the smartest people in the world that look at all of this and see consistency, I mean, you take it down to the simplest element. How come on Star Trek, everybody's got two legs and two arms? You see my point? That that may not be a good one. It was just a joke that occurred to me at the time. But if there's this evolution, we don't have a group of people that have a tail. We've got some stronger people. You know, by birth, it, we've, we've got some people that are a little taller. We've got some people that are different colors. We've got things like that. But when you go to change a kidney in a person in China and you go to change a kidney in a person in America, you're going to look in the same place. Yet this is accidental. Not only was it accidental that this kidney is in the same place, but there is also accidental that you have a male and a female that can propagate and create another so we have creation that points to a designer and if you disagree i'm sorry but you have a creation that points to a designer all of the world you get down the closer you look the more detailed it gets the more structured it gets those random tree leaves you know that are blowing in the breeze and you look at the tree you can classify a tree by group and you know how a certain amount a certain tree type is going to grow from generation to generation and So it says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Uh, Verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. There's a desire for man to know more. There's, There's something in man that draws him toward the spiritual side because there's a spirit and a soul. For the invisible things of the world from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now, how are invisible things clearly seen? It's God's hand in everything. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What happens to the pygmy in the jugmal if he doesn't know Christ? I don't know God knows the heart, but I do know God tells us to propagate the gospel. And whenever they're trying to witness to someone and then get distracted with all the questions, you know, well, what, what about the man over in the jungle that never knew God? You know, there's a funny thing about the men in the jungle. They still have a religion. They, they know that something greater than themselves has created things. I remember watching uh, the end of the spear with, uh, about Elizabeth Elliot and uh, the missionaries down in uh, South America that were killed in the jungle. And uh, the whole tribe ended up getting saved. But even down there, they talk about jumping the boa when they die. Even for them, it wasn't just you're dead, you're out of here. There was a task to be done when you died, you know, the jumping the boa. You had to have your spear with you in Egypt. They had their gods. They, they would bury, you know, when they buried each other. They, they gave them all the things for the afterlife. It's within man to know there is something more than just this physical world that we see, hear, feel, and touch. And he says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. <laughs> a vain imagination is thinking about things that are useless, thinking about things that are worthless. We, we invest so much. When uh, I, I'll never forget a friend of mine that got saved, he was telling me he was talking to his new pastor, and the pastor asked him, Well, what was it like before? And he said, well, you know, and he, he made pretty good money. He was a single guy, you know, and he was, he was uh, uh, next to the plant manager in our plant, so he had pretty good money. But he said, you know, I was always buying something or I was always looking for something to kind of fill it, you know, and it's a bad way to evangelize saying you got a God-sized hole in you that only God can fill, but there is a desire in man to, to have more. We have we have youth across America that attach themselves to a movement, whether it's uh, whether it's save the planet or whether it's save or anarchy or they attach themselves to something because they want to be a part of something bigger. You know, there's something in them because they, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful in their imagination, but became neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. When you begin to, when you look at everything and uh, I'm giving you all kinds, of, I'm just giving you what I get. I remember reading uh, Jurassic Park and they're in the helicopter and the mathematician is talking and he's saying, he's talking about chaos theory and he's saying, you know, all things end up going to chaos, going toward chaos. And he said, but there has to be something that started it. And I, I can't find it for the life of me to point to it, but I read it years ago and a little boy said, and when he was saying, there had to be something to start the whole thing. And a little boy said, "You mean like God?" And a mathematician said, "No, oh, no, that's not right." <laughs> he just waved it off. It's right there in front of everyone. It said, because it, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. When you turn, when you take God out of the equation, all of a sudden there's a There's a veil. And, and, you know, that's the way it is with the Bible. If you go to the Bible and you want to argue with it, God hands you pieces of it, and he says, here you go, this will prove your argument. Or the devil will. He'll say, this will prove your argument, this will prove your argument. But if you go to it and you say, Lord, show me, and and you're reading with a heart to know God, and you're saying, you know, you're not going to sit there and argue the finer points of the fish that swallowed Jonah. I, I'm sorry. It, it's like saying, well, you mean you need to check your brain at the door? No. You need to set yourself aside and say, well, what is God trying to say here? You be, he begins opening up to you. I know because you're here. And God's spoken to each and every one of your hearts before. Unless you're, unless you're just told you've got to be here. But it's it's with it. When you set yourself aside and when you say, Lord, I'm here for whatever you want to show me, God begins to that heart is softened, and God begins to work on you, and it begins to tenderize. Well, let's go on here. Verse 22 professing themselves to be wise, very smart people have trouble with it. They become fools. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four footed beasts and creeping things. Now, Dee Dee at this point would want me to show you how that's the holidays that we celebrate, four-footed things, Halloween, creep, no, creeping things, Halloween, four-footed beast, the Easter, and uh, man, Santa Claus, and, uh, <coughs> and birds, Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, it's just these little things. Doesn't make them evil, it's just funny. The, uh, The thing is that man will worship a bird. Man will worship a spirit. Man will buy a statue out of Africa because it was made by some spiritual shaman over there. And whether they admit it or not, a highly intelligent college, well, this is supposed to be for good luck, so I just keep it around. My grandfather, I loved him. My grandfather lived out on the dike in a little trailer, a little tourist trailer in the 80s. And I would work at Rolette's, and I'd go over there and eat, and man, he could cook. I, it, and he didn't have much, but he had a little crock pot and he cooked that chicken. And when he set it down on the plate, you pick up the bone, set it aside, and eat your chicken. That's how good he cooked. But he had a little Buddha on the table, you know. He said, Well, I keep it for luck. You know, you're supposed to be able to rub his belly for luck or so. He told me, I was a kid, so he, I'm sure he baited up, you know, he rubbed a little Buddha belly. Well, we put things out there and people will invest themselves, the rabbit's foot or the angel on the, on the uh, visor, whatever. Man will come up with something and they'll turn toward that. And I'm not saying that everybody comes up with that worship, you know. But uh, man will reject God, but then he'll give some credence to something over here. And that fellow that I was talking about that was into the new age. I remember when I was in San Diego, California. I'm just full of illustrations this morning, ain't I? When I was in San Diego, California, and, you know, I was young, and I go down to the, uh, down by the sea, they had all these little shops, you know, it, it, outdoors, because they could do that. You know, we got to have to do stuff indoors. But they had their little shops, and I went into one, and they had these crystals, man. there was $75 crystal. There were $50 crystal. There was, you know, there was the nickel little piece of rock out of the driveway whatever but uh i'm looking at that and i was curious about the spiritual things you know and i said well how do you know that there's any power in these things what tells you that well they didn't have an answer they tell each other that and this fellow that was into the new age he wrote books about how the crystals can be used and a matter of fact there was some power attributed to those crystals and actually if you wanted if you want a spoiler alert There was power behind them crystals. It's just the wrong kind of power. Because when you reject God, something else will step in there to accept your worship. I'm just telling you. And it says, And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And look what happens when they do that. When they reject God, wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, this is where a preacher can get on to preaching about homosexuality and stuff. We know it's wrong. I'm not going there. What we do know is that God gives you over to your darker desires. He will turn you over. And it says, who tra- verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Began to lift up a man. You know, the Egyptians, they worshipped cats. Over in India, they worshipped a cow. You know, India could have more meat going on than Texas, but they starve while the cows walk around in their worship. They starve while the the food's just, you know. It's hard for a Texan to imagine a T-bone steak just walking around while you're hungry. But they do that. They turn themselves, they worship that cow, and God gives them over to it. And all that goes with it. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through uh, verse number... 25 again, who's changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26, look what happens. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change a natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God, this is a verse I'm getting to, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Let me tell you something. You want to get away from God, you want to deny God, you want to step away from God, and you say, God's just, he, he's too heavy. We watched, the, we watched the video this morning and he was bringing up the law to show him his sin, right? The law is what convicts a sin. And you want to reject that? You want to walk away and say, I'm not really a bad person? God just gives you over. It's like, well, I'm done with you. It's like the fellow that came up to relieve me, you know, up in Alabama and I'm trying to show him. I said, well, you want to watch for this? You want to watch for this? Because you're going to be all by yourself because this is the only site that we have in all the state of Alabama and the, your help is at least a, a, a two-hour flight away <laughs> and an hour trip to the airport. You know, you, the help's not coming quick, and they're going to need water because, it's, it's, you know, if something goes wrong. So you watch for this, you watch for that. Man, I'm only going to be here a week. <laughs> Have a good time. <laughs> you got it. And I think that's what God does. Okay, you got this. You're on your own. And he, he just closes the book to you. He'll close it up. It, you know, there's people that start out wanting to know God. And that's what the Bible talks about with the different seed. You know, the cares of the world and things like that. He'll just give them over to it. Give them over to a reprobate mind. Scariest thing to me when I look at Saul in the Old Testament. You know, Saul, he did his own thing and all that. And God, God rejected him. God sent a spirit to trouble him. And he was rejected. When you look at Eli... Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. Eli, he knew God's law. He knew what his kids were doing wrong. and, And he was so resigned that when Samuel came in there, little Samuel came in there and told him what God told him, he said, he is the Lord, he'll do what he wants. And he just resigned himself to God's judgment, to falling into the hands of God's judgment. Not changing. One of the things that scares me most is that My heart gets so hard that God just turns me over to something else. Lord, never turn me over. Lord, never give me up. I never want to be out of God's hands. And we make mistakes, and we repeat mistakes, and we repeat them again and go back to things that hurt us. And I'm not saying it's okay. It's wrong. But Lord, help you if it ever gets so easy you don't even have to think about God. You can just go on and do your own thing because I tell you what, you don't know it, but you're over here doing your thing and God's over here taking care of his sheep and you're not part of that family anymore. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but I'm talking about God turning you over. And these are lost people that are doing this. They, they know the truth of God, but they deny it and they turn over. Now, what happens when somebody gets like that? This might be more than one sermon. Go back to Psalm 107. And I don't really care at this point. I was looking at it. I told Dee, this would make a good series. That fellow that I told you about who was into the New Age stuff, and we might just finish up on this one. But the fellow that I told you about that was into the New Age stuff, you know, he, he had gone to a Navy chaplain. His dad was in the Navy, and he'd gone to a Navy chaplain, and he was asking him about spiritual things. And he, he asked a question. <laughs> I hate answering the question. As a preacher, somebody comes up to you, how do we know God exists? He comes up to him and asks him, you know, how do we know God exists? Yeah, the reason you hate to answer it is because it's something that you settled a long time ago and you've moved on. But there are people that genuinely ask that question, and we ought to have an answer for it. And so it's not an easy one to answer. It's one that you settled. It's one that you settled in your heart because you're talking about an invisible God. The only thing I know to do is point you to the creation. Tell me. And that's why you have these creation ministries that talk about God's design and things. Uh, Dr. Kent Hovind, even though he doesn't have credibility anymore, he was still right. When we see all these different elements that are, that are laid out, when you, you can break down, he said all these different parts that are kind of the same, From they show a common designer. You take a part of pocket watch over here, and you take a part of pocket watch over here, and you see similarities between them. They were, they were put there by the same designer. God designed his creation. So, I mean, that's one answer. It doesn't always satisfy somebody. But what the Navy chaplain did, that didn't help. Because the Navy chaplain just looked annoyed at getting that question. And he said, well, you're too young. We'll just, we'll talk about when you're older. No, don't ever do that to somebody. Help them. When they come asking you, they really want to know. And if you don't know that, point them to a ministry that spends all their time coming up with answers for that. Not just coming up, but pointing to answers for that. Not just making stuff up. But, be you know, point them to the right direction. But that, that chaplain said, you're too young, we'll talk about that another time. I think he was like 13. That's not too young. That's, man, that's dead on. And so when he got away from that, then he began to, he said he he got tuned in to uh, watching Kung Fu on TV. You remember that show? And, man, he looked like he could really handle life. (laughs) I mean, anybody who can pick up a whole pot of flaming coals every show, coals, a pot of flaming coals every show and walk out the door with it. I mean, that guy, you know, he's in control. Nobody could whoop him. So he began to study Middle Eastern and, and Eastern religions and things like that and mysticism, and he got into the New Age movement. But you know, people that are looking, people that are looking for something, they, they, that means they don't have everything that they think they ought to have. Now, look at me on 107 we'll start at the beginning again. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. Now we could go all into how the Jews were returning to the land from the north, the east, the west, and the south because they were scattered. But spiritually, there's people all over this world it says, and gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses, and He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. And then to praise. So, you have the predicament, which is that they're wandering in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted in them. That's their predicament. There's a spiritual hunger inside people. They desire to know the Lord. They desire and they, they want to know, they would like to be drawn to the God of creation. Amen. But. They get drawn away to other things that are more visible, things that they can attach themselves to. Well, yeah, I mean, this is on TV. I can watch this on TV. I can learn more about this. And, man, this is cool. Look what he can do because of this right here, right now. We look for a better city. We're strangers in a strange land, essentially. Well, we're strangers looking for a city not built with hands. We look toward the heavens. We also have a God that works in the here and now, but you know what? <laughs> you, if you want God to work in your life, you're gonna have to clean up. It's just plain and simple. God is a God of forgiveness, but if you're the child that's going out all the time in the mud puddle and you're spending all your time cleaning up, you're not the child that gets to go to the mall with mama. I don't know how else to. I don't know how else to make it simple. But what I'm saying, you won't get to get out of that, You won't get to get off the porch. When, when Paul talks about cleaning up, when Paul talks about walking right, when he talks about putting his body under subjection, he, you put your body under God doesn't have to spend time cleaning you up. You don't have to spend time forgiveness and regretting. You just begin walking with the Lord, and He begins to open doors. And I don't mean toward wealth. I'm not talking about how you can get wealthy and, and wealthy. Wealthier. Your life will just be so much better. And you go to the parking lot up at the Walmart and I, I pull around the corner and there's an open spot right there by the front door. No. <laughs> Matter of fact, in the Christian life, a lot of times some jerk will probably pull right in front of you and get it. And you're going to have to say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me not cuss him out. But if you want to walk with the Lord, it's going to be some things you're going to have to do. I used to get up. I used to get upset, and I still would if I was getting beat up all the time in church about sin. Uh, about well, you know, they they ain't dressed down at the beach, or they're not this, or you know, the the homosexuals. And, and I don't disagree with all that. My goodness, I'm here in church. I'm not at the beach. I'm not walking around Victoria's Secret. I'm here to learn the Word of God. But I'm telling you, there's still the aspect, it's still in the Bible. You know, the law's still there. The law's still our schoolmaster. We're not saved by the law, but it still points to a right life. It still points to a right walk with God. But back to the sermon here, that was for free. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. We talked about spiritual hunger. There are those that that are spiritually hunger. And when they cry unto the Lord in their distress, he delivered them out of their distresses. And I tell you what, every one of you here that has accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior has at some point in your life cried to the Lord out of your distress and said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I can't make it to heaven on my own. I know All my righteousness is as filthy rags. And I know that if I stand before you on the day of judgment, knowing what I've done, I'll be condemned to go to hell. But it said his mercy endures forever. God's mercy endures. God has enough mercy that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. He sent his only son Down here on this earth. To live among his creation. To walk in the dirt. To walk by people that spat on him. To let people pick the hairs out of his beard. To pluck them out. To let them. Let his creation put a cross on his back. And walk him in shame. And you know in the pictures. We put a loincloth on Jesus. But he walked that road naked. The shame of walking naked down that road carrying that cross and he was so beat he was so worn out so so tired so abused he couldn't even carry his own cross they had somebody help him carry the cross and then when they got on the cross they weren't content to just tie him up there there was so much hatred I got a feeling the devil was out there and he was just working and everyone around him and someone said we don't need that rope give me that spike God, mercy, merciful enough saying, I know that Charlie, I know that Gay, I know that Keith, I know they can't make it to heaven on their own. They can't walk in my clean house with those filthy feet. But I'm going to send my son to be an atonement for their sin. And he died on the cross, he shed his own blood. God, painted that picture all throughout the Old Testament with sacrifice after sacrifice every time a lamb was taken up there and it was killed, an innocent lamb that didn't do anything to anyone and it was killed for the sins of that family, for the sins of that person. His blood was shed and he died there on the altar for the sins of that person. God sent his own son to be that lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So if you're spiritually hungry, hungry, wandering in the desert, cry out to God now. While Miss Maxine plays, maybe you say, Brother Keith, I know, I know that I know, that I know Jesus Christ. I've accepted him as my Savior. As y'all stand today,